Hey, thank you for listening to the Rise Youth Podcast. Rise Youth is a youth group that exists to rise up and saturate our schools with the gospel. You are listening to a teaching from our brand new series, Relationship, all about how to do relationships, whether that's friendships, dating, whatever, Jesus way with the Jesus-centered mindset. So when I was um, 19 years old, I got a Facebook DM, and this is right when Facebook started to become kind of popular, right? Um, so you guys weren't even probably born, but I got a DM from a girl who was very clearly trying to like hit on me. Like she was, I don't know how I even identified that back then, but I was like, oh, this girl's like hitting on me. And I was about to go to Bible college and I could also tell that she was not really a Christian. And being a Christian, I was like, well, I, I don't really want a girl that's not a Christian like hit on me because I don't want to have a dating. So I like was like, but in my head, I was like, but this is an opportunity to share Jesus. And so I decided uh, I was just going to go full throttle and scare her off or reach her for Jesus. So I was like, yo, I don't even know what I said. I was like, did you know that Jesus died for you on the cross to pay for, like how many guys have experienced crazy, like share Jesus guy or crazy share Jesus girl? Like even if you're a Christian, how many guys have experienced that? Well, that's me. And so I started doing that. And she says like over Facebook, she's like, you are clearly like one of those crazy Jesus guys. And I was like, yes, I'm about to go to Bible college uh, to become a pastor. And she's like, oh, you're one of those even. I was like, yeah, why? And she says, yeah, I was kind of hitting on you, but I'm not interested anymore. Um, but you should meet my friend, Lindsay, because she would probably like marry a pastor. She's so into Jesus. And I was like, really? And so um, I, I didn't take it seriously, but I was like, but actually I do want to know her last name so I can look her up. And so I looked this girl, Lindsay, up. And the, from the moment I saw her, I was like, holy smokes. One, she's like friends with a lot of people I know. And so like, why do I not know her? Because she's super stinking beautiful. So I was like, man, I want to meet this girl. And I met her because I'm like sneaky like that. I started like DMing her mutual friends. I was like, what's up? Like, you know this girl, Lindsay? They're like, yeah, what do you mean? She's like my best friend. I was like, dude, we should all go hang out together sometime. And just like setting it up, all right? And so uh, we end up hanging out at a coffee shop. Eventually, we ended up hanging out kind of like one-on-one. -on -one. And this is like the end of the summer before I went to school and found myself like completely like head over heels for this chick. And so uh, she definitely was showing those same vibes to me. And I eventually was like, hey, it was really good getting to know you, but I'm going to go to Bible college now. She's like, what? And I was like, yeah, me and my buddy are going to drive off to Bible college. She's like, well, it was nice to get to know you. So then I drive over to Joplin, Missouri. Uh, and the whole time was like, every once in a while, like shooting her a text or whatever. I get to this school and my focus completely and totally goes to God. I mean, God started to, um, first of all, I was already walking very, very closely with Jesus. But when you're at Bible college, at a good Bible college, like something about that is so sacred and so awesome. I, I very much loved my time there. But I was so focused on Jesus that I was like, Jesus, I don't even care what happens with this Lindsay girl. What matters to me is what do you want for my life? But I found myself, the more I focused on Jesus, that for the very first time in my life, has never happened like this before, that it felt almost more natural to communicate with and to be in relationship with Lindsay. And all before then, every other year of my life, 
if I was more focused on Jesus, I'd be like less focused on girls or any other things, drugs, whatever else wasn't Jesus, all right? So the more I focus on Jesus, the less I focus on other things. But in this season of life, the more I focused on Jesus, the more I felt drawn to this girl. I wanna show you guys a picture just so you guys can keep it pretty interesting of me and Lindsay back then. Can I, 2009 and 2010, this is me and Lindsay. I ended up, uh, I ended up, actually taking a day and fasting. And what do you, do you guys know what fasting is? Does anybody not know what that is? So what fasting is, is something Christians do will like just stop eating for a day or multiple, multiple days. Uh, usually if I don't eat for multiple days, I'll actually probably wither into non-existence because that's how skinny I am. So I usually do it for about a day. And when I fasted, my point was, man, God, I want to take my eyes off all the other distractions and focus on you and ask, do you want me to marry this really beautiful girl? because I was at the time of my life where I was old enough to get married, so would I pursue her? And what I found in that uh, fast, I was reading a big C.S. Lewis book on heaven and hell, and I, there was no reason that God should have spoke to me, but God spoke very clearly into my heart. It wasn't an audible voice, but I felt certain that the hungrier I got, the more I was supposed to marry this girl because she had, um, she had a heart that beat after Jesus, and man, like, it was very, very clear and evident to me. And so this is kind of the point of my story. We've been married now for like nine years in this month, actually, in just a few days. We'll have been married for nine years. And so what I want you guys to see, that focus now leads to flourishing later. And what I mean by that is when we focus our hearts and minds on our relationship with God, if you focus, and some of you guys don't even know God today, and I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know today, the power and the beauty is this, if you would focus your heart on God, flourishing in all kinds of areas of your life will result later. And in particular, I'm telling you that if you focus your heart and mind on God, you are going to be more set up, if you're focused on Jesus now, for a relationship that God has for you in the future later. Now, some of you may not get married. Some others of you may not have that opportunity. Um, and it is a huge blessing. But if you do get married, the best thing you can do now in preparation for that is focusing on God. Because as you do, what will happen in you is you will be mature and you will have a relationship in which you are able to flourish with that guy, with that girl later. Is that making sense to you guys? And so what I'm gonna do today as we talk about relationships is share some biblical wisdom. And what, what I'm not gonna do is just give you commands from scripture, okay? Because how many of you guys know that are Christians that the Bible doesn't just have like you should do this and you should do that at every juncture in life. When you're like trying to figure out what class should I take in school, God isn't just like, take science because science is what I, you know, like God's not doing that, right? God, you're like, Jesus, should I take science? And God's like, I put wisdom in your brain for you to like figure that out. And that not everything in life is about thus says the Lord, or in other words, not everything in your life will God have a Bible verse for. Does that make sense? So you need to have biblical wisdom embedded in your heart you need to have a relationship with Jesus where you're walking with him every day so that when you have decisions that are big in life to make, that those decisions are made out of a heart that doesn't need a God gave me a green light or God gave me a red light. But instead you could say, no, I know God's heart. I know the kind of person God wants me to be. And therefore I walk through doors that look like 
decisions that God would want me to make. Is that making sense? So not everything is moral or immoral in God's economy. Some things are also foolish or wise or on a scale between foolish and wise. And there certainly are going to be things I share with you tonight that are like, this is what God says. But in a lot of ways, um, what I'm really doing, I want to show a picture of my kids here. These are my kids. And um, are those cute kids? I feel like they're moderately cute. They're okay. The oldest one, he's probably the cutest, but the other ones are okay. So I I think that my kids are the most beautiful things that have ever been given to me. Um, Like the first time I held my children, I almost was like, this child is like better than my very life. And I, I felt this feeling of love that I couldn't, I couldn't uh, have ever predicted would happen in my soul. Like I did, and I told my mother-in-law, I was like, I did not know I could love something as much as I love now. Like I, I moderately loved everything, or I was like 80% love. But then God took my heart and expanded it to like 150% when I met these babies, okay? And some of you dudes are like, what? Like, I don't even think babies are cute. I was with you, bro. Like, I thought babies were ugly and like had no interest, all right? But as I became a man and had children, this is the most precious thing to me. So what I'm going to tell you tonight is not all, this is what the Bible says and you must do it. I'm not going to do that. Some of it will be, but a lot of it's really going to be me speaking exactly what I would share with my kids. I love my kids more than anything in the world, and so when I shape what I share with them, even at their, their four, two, and, and zero right now, because I only count years, she's six months, um, what I share with them is really, really intentional because I love them. So I love them more than I love me. If someone breaks into my house and they have a gun and I can see it, and all I have at my disposal is like a butter knife. Like I'm going to take a butter knife to a gunfight. Like that's how this is going down. And I'm going to lose in protection of these children. So everything I share with them is out of a heart that is willing to die for them. And so what I'm telling you right now is not all of what I'm going to say is going to be biblical uh, wisdom directly from a moral standpoint, but a lot of it's going to be wisdom that I want to anchor my kids' lives in. And so I'm sharing with you like that. I want to share with you out of a heart of like, man, if you were my kids, this is what I would tell you. Does that make sense? So um, here's what we're going to do. Um, or in right, really, there is biblical justification for this because Paul himself says at one point in the very same passage we're about to look at, he says, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. This is in the Bible. And Paul is saying, like, I'm about to tell you something that's my opinion, filled with the spirit and knowing who God is and knowing God's heart. And then he tells them this random opinion that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So his, his opinion there is like, I don't think you should, uh, you should not pursue divorce at all, right? And we find out that Paul's saying this like, there's not a direct command in the Old Testament. He's saying, but I know God's heart and his, he hates divorce. So if your wife's an unbeliever, like do not divorce her. And then because he said it, it, now it's in the Bible because he's writing the Bible and now it is a command. Does it make sense? But that's the heart with which I'm sharing with you. Like, this isn't a command, but I want you to know this. So what we're going to do is open up to 1 Corinthians 7. Amen? Woo! Let's open our Bibles, 1 Corinthians 7. I just want to help you guys out in your lives. I love you. I care about you. And I want to share this with you. So 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 7. Um, and what we're going to do is just read down to verse 9. So... 
looking with me at the text. If you don't have a Bible, um, we'll just go through this chunk by chunk, starting with the first two verses. It says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Okay, stop right there. If you look at what he's saying here, he's saying this is a concession, not a command. Same kind of thing, right? What's he doing there? Uh, This is not a command from the Lord. This is good wisdom that you could consider and you don't necessarily have to obey. And then what is the command or what is the advice? Verse seven, I wish that all were as I myself am. What's he saying there? He's saying, what is Paul referring to when he says, uh, I want you guys to be like I am. He's saying, I want you to be single because Paul was single, right? We find out in scripture that Paul doesn't have a wife. Maybe she left him when he became a Christian, or maybe he just never had a wife because he's a scholar and he spends half his life at like basically ancient Bible college. But either way, he is single. So I wish that all of you guys were as I am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And so what's he saying there? He's saying, I wish you guys were single, but not everybody is as gifted as I am. And what's his gift? At being single. He's like, yo, like I have this particular gift from God. It's a great opportunity. It's a gift from the hand of God. And what's that gift? It's not having a wife. All right, it's a little brutal if he ever did have a wife, right? Like, like I feel bad for her a little bit that he would say this. But what, what is he, why would Paul call singleness a gift? Like how many people know that in our culture, a lot of people think like not having a boyfriend, not having a girlfriend, not having a wife is kind of like a curse. Like, ah, like I don't wanna, I wanna wanna be single, I'm lonely, I wanna have a date on date night and all this stuff. But Paul's like, nope, like being single is where it's at. What's up, where's my single people in the house? Yes. All right. Cool. So you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I want to wait But like Paul's like, no, bro. Singleness is a gift from God. Look at your neighbor and say singleness is a gift from God. If your neighbor is your girlfriend, maybe don't say that because that's brutal, right? I'm so sorry. I don't want to offend anybody tonight, and I'm going to be very clear about this, okay? So this is where the, all the controversy is going to come in. If you get mad at me, come talk to me afterwards. Um, but I am going to take a strong preference tonight, and you're going to feel it. And that preference is that if you're in high school or in middle school, that you should not date, Okay, that already feels weird for some of you guys because you're like, yo, I'm here with my boyfriend or my boyfriend's like texting me right now. Like, what are you talking about? So don't trip because I want to qualify that, qualify that. I want to make sure that like I don't say that without giving some parameters. Okay, and this is what I mean. If you are here and you're dating somebody, you're in a dating relationship, right? We are not judging you. In fact, if somebody judges you, you can come tell me. I'll go punch them in the face. I can't, I can't really punch people in the face, but they like deserve it, right? Because you are not judged here, right? And you're not necessarily foolish, okay? I'm going to take a strong preference for singleness because that's what I'm going to do for my kids while they're in high school, middle school. There is a way to do it wisely. I'm just saying that most of the time it's not, and you'll see what I mean by that in a little bit, okay? I'm going to take a strong preference for that. Number two, it does not mean that you are a lesser Christian, if you're dating, okay? I'm not saying that either. And if you think that is what I'm saying, like, come talk to me afterwards. You are not a lesser Christian. 
But I'm saying that principally, most of the time, it is less wise to date in high school, middle school than to get married, okay? Most of the time. And some of the time you can prove me wrong. Some of the time you can. I know that because there are people who have dated in high school that are married today, awesome relationships, awesome kids. How many of you guys know people like that? Like they got married after, okay, cool. So do you guys hear me on that? You guys hear my heart as your pastor. I'm not tripping on you if you are dating, but I'm saying for most of us, it's unwise. Everybody say, boo, I hate rise youth. Singleness is a gift from God. Let me just share from this passage three reasons singleness is a gift from God. Number one, look at your neighbor and say mission. What is mission? What is Christian mission? And I I need your help here. What does it mean to be a missionary? Yes, ma'am. God's plan for you. Yeah, that God has a plan for your life and he wants you to be about that plan. And so you're on God's mission in that sense. Okay, Uh, somebody help me out. What does it mean to be a missionary? What does it mean to like be on mission? And leaders, you can help too, but somebody help me out here. Yes. Yeah, somebody who maybe goes overseas to tell people about God. Mick tells a story about how he went over to China to China to smuggle Bibles into China, right? So that people could know God. So the idea of being a missionary is you are sent on God's mission to help other people know the love of Jesus, that he died for them and he rose again and that he's real, really ruling and reigning. So we as people should all be on mission, even if we're not in a, another country. And what you have the opportunity as a single person to do Um, And again, you can be doing this if you're dating as well. And I hope that you are, because then that's the best way to do your dating is to be on mission, even though you're dating. Right. But if you're single, you have way more time to be on mission. And and so when I was in high school, just brand new believer, first two years, something like that, um, I was on fire for Jesus. I got out of the baptismal waters and was like, I need to tell all my friends that they need to know the love of Jesus. They need to know about eternity. They need to know about God. And so one by one, I started to invite all these people from my high school to youth group. And I started a Bible study on the ground at a gas station right by Gresham High School. Anybody know where that is? And what we would do is we would pick off underclassmen. So when we were sophomores, it would be freshmen. We were juniors, it would be freshmen and sophomores and so on and so forth. And I'd be like, you guys are going to come sit down. We're going to study the Bible. Like, what do you mean the Bible? I'm like, sit down, bro. I'll buy you free rock star. Like, all right. And they sit down and we'd be like telling them the gospel. Some of those kids would believe in Jesus, like on the spot. And others of them would just be like, I'm down to see this again. And we would load them on Wednesdays into my dad's Astro van car, um, such that there was probably 20 plus kids. I'm not actually joking. That's what's bad about this story. And we would stuff them in, no seatbelts, drive them illegally down the street to youth group. It was sketchy and I should have been arrested, okay? Not getting like accolades at youth group for bringing all these kids. Like we, my dumb buddies and I illegally grew our youth group by a lot just by like stuffing kids. And here's what I had time to do, to stuff kids in Astro vans to come to youth group. I'm a youth pastor now and I can't do that, all right? One, because I probably get arrested because I'm a grown up. And number two, that is not okay when you have a wife and when you have kids, you can't spend all your day like on the ground at a gas station. We spend hours there after school, right? Like what, imagine me and Lindsay there and she's like, babe, this is so weird. Like why, we feel like creepers. I'm saying, no, babe, we're gonna start this Bible study here on the ground. Our kids are like drinking the gas out of the grass. Like, like, holy no. And then, you know, spraying people and my kids are just like waiting in the oil and all that stuff. Do I have time as a married dude with kids to start a Bible? No. 
That's dumb. But when I was single, though, I was like, let's do this. Yes. And so uh, another example would be I went on a uh, not a mission trip, but I moved to Kentucky to join a heavy metal band to play the guitar, and heavy metal was still cool back then. And I would and we would like scream Jesus, and we would go around from town to town, sharing about the love of Jesus to all these gnarly gothic metalheads who didn't know Jesus. And could I do that today? <laughs> like all these like running around in the mosh pit, punching people out, and like. It would be gnarly, you guys. We cannot do that. But here's what I'm saying. Some of you guys could start a revolution for Jesus that I can't even dream of. Some of you guys are called by Jesus to start a revolution I couldn't dream of because you have the time and space as a single person. And that even applies to dating in high school or in middle school. You have much less time. Why? Because you're focused on that relationship. Again, it can be a good thing, but sometimes it can turn your eyes off of God's mission that he has for you now and onto the other stuff. And if you are to date, and we're going to talk about this in two weeks, how could I date in a way that does honor Jesus? Here's just a pro tip for you guys, because I know that you guys have to sit through this too, right? That um, you can, the healthiest dating relationships as Christians would be one where you can continue to be on mission for Jesus and not distracted from that. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay, here's number two, maturity. Look at your neighbor and say, maturity. Okay, when you're single, the benefit is that you can grow in biblical and physical and monetary and educational maturity. You guys tracking with that? And here's what I mean. Today, I was uh, trying to drive to work. I was on my way to a meeting with our team at Rise. And uh, on my way there, I was like hoping to get coffee. I was like, oh, Jesus, I didn't. I'm so tired and kids. and I just want to get coffee. My wife's on that particular team. And so we were driving together. And then I was going down this hill and kind of like probably driving too fast. I'm sorry. And I repented. But as I'm coming down, I'm like, I'm late and I want coffee, I see this car like halfway sideways in the road and I was like, I'm like, whoa, I got to like slow down because I'm going to kill this lady. And she's turned and trapped. And I'm like, why is she not like flipping the full U-turn here? And so my wife's like, you you realize that her car is broken down. I was like, oh, shoot. And in my head, I had this battle where I was like, I can get around her and like continue to go to work at a church as a pastor and get my coffee going. Or I could pull over like a Jesus follower and like help her. And then I was like, not going to listen to my second voice. But then my wife was my second wife or my second. That's not, that's not what I meant. You don't want the second wife, but you do want the second voice of the Holy Spirit. Yes. So my wife was that second voice. Praise and hallelujah. Um, one wife is definitely enough. Um, and she, t- she tells me like, babe, like, you're a Christian. You should probably help her. And I was like, oh, so I like pull over. I get out of the car and I start pushing her. And then um, my gift from the Holy Spirit is not being like strong because I'm short and skinny, but I'm good at gathering people. So as like runners were going by, I was like, you guys need to come over. We need to push this car. And they're like, what? I'm like, get over here, leadership. And so then I get these dudes and we're pushing the car. And then I go to the window. I'm like, hey. And I look in the car and I notice she has a dog and a little kid the same age as my second oldest boy. And I was like, oh, my heart just breaks for her in this moment. And I'm like, do you have anybody you could call to like help you get the rest of the way home? And she's like, I don't know anybody. And I was like, oh. 
And I'm like, do you have any, like, do you have any idea of what's wrong with your car? And she's like, it's gas. Like, I'm just out of gas. I'm like, you're not just broken down. She's like, no. <sighs> then I went to the gas station. I picked up a bunch of gas. I drove it back. I filled her thing. And, um, and then I was like, hey, like, where do you live? I'm right on the street. So we got enough gas to go. And then I asked her right before she went. She's like, you're my hero, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, I didn't even want to help you. Like, I'm the devil. So don't like celebrate me. I suck. But, and I felt guilty. But then I was like, I just trying to chit chat with her. I was pouring this gas in. And I'm like, listen, like, it's so hard when you have like little ones, you know, is this your only one? And she's like, actually, this isn't even my kid. I was like, it's not your kid? She's like, this is like my girlfriend's kid and like I'm, I'm, I take him for certain days of the week or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, so like you have a girlfriend and like this is your kid. And I was like, man, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And then I send her off and she is able to drive home. I don't tell that story to say I'm a good person because I'm not. But what I tell you that story is, um, what's really hard in her life right now, what's really hard in this gal's life, and my heart broke for her, is that she's in a situation where she has other people depending on her, her girlfriend and her, um, her girlfriend's son. And in my head, the whole time I was like, you're like trying to take care of these other people, but you actually can't even take care of yourself. And I don't mean to be brutal, but that's like the truth, amen? And I told my wife, I was like, I never wanna be so helpless that I can't even fill my own gas tank, but I gotta take care of all y'all. The heart of God is that we would be people who have the maturity to take on the responsibilities we bring into our life. And dating and other people in relationships are a big part of that. And so my encouragement, it would be don't date unless you're ready to actually take care of somebody else whether that's emotionally, and really I think one of the big pieces is financially, right? If you don't have the money to take care of a whole nother human, what happens is you don't have the ability to do what you're trying to do. And sometimes as a middle school, high school, it feel very, very frustrating. And with that, what sometimes happens is we're trying to fill a hole in our own hearts at a deeper level, okay? Because I feel lonely, or because I feel attracted heavily to the opposite sex, I want to have a relationship. But what you're telling me in that moment is you have a hole in your heart and that you have emptiness, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, all the ease. And then you're trying to fill that hole with someone else. And that is in a lot of times, if we're trying to solve our loneliness by dating, we actually don't improve our loneliness. Instead, we end up sucking the life out of a whole nother person too. That like, and I see this in more so like with marriage. I've sat down with people who are adults and who are sucking the life out of each other because they thought if I am lonely, but I get married, that'll fix my problems. And it didn't, it just doubled them because now that other person is dealing with their stuff too. So especially if you feel this ache of like, my life sucks and I'm lonely and no one loves me and I'm a victim, don't drag someone into that. Like, look to Jesus, man, because God is the only one who can fill your heart. Augustine, a theologian and 500 years after Jesus said, look, we have these God-shaped holes in our hearts that nothing on earth can fill but him. Our restless hearts will not find their rest until they find 
their rest in God alone. And so, again, a healthy relationship by contrast, if you, if you want to have a healthy dating relationship right now, it would be that you are dating, and this is Jordan Fallman's way of putting it, out of the overflow that you are so filled with the love and the flourishing of God in your life that the dating relationship is actually you spilling over with health and with love for Jesus that you're able to pour into them, okay? So if you're like, man, I don't wanna listen to you, I wanna date, then date that way because that would be extremely healthy by contrast. And the last one, and we're gonna kind of close with this, is mistakes. So number one, we want to avoid um, or we want to embrace mission. Number two, in singleness, it gives us time to have maturity, to walk with Jesus. And then the last one is we avoid in singleness mistakes. And um, I'm going to just share this because uh, this is, this is um, I think, really important for you guys to see. Again, some of you guys do have good relationships, more power to you. But I want to show you the teenage relationship quality scale. <laughs> And what this is, is not you guys who are dating. I'm sure you have awesome relationships, but this is like 99% of the other ones, okay? 99% of high school and middle school relationships are on this scale. They're fine all the way to the left. Like maybe you have a fine relationship. Maybe some of you guys are like, no way, I have an awesome relationship. You are off the charts, okay? Because you are the anomaly. You are doing awesome and I'm proud of you. But most of them are just fine. Like, okay, we're not, we're not acting impurely. We're okay. Everything's going good. Um, and then you move across the scale and it moves to dysfunctional. This is where, like, because you're dating and you're in high school and you're already stressed out because of high school, you start fighting and that's called dysfunctional. The middle there is frustrating because you're like, maybe it's because you guys are trying to be pure and you're struggling with that. Maybe it's because you're trying to stop fighting, but you literally can't stop fighting. Now you're in the realm of frustrating. The further on the chart is toxic. And this is usually where what happens is you actually have one person in the relationship who ends up wanting to control the other person in the relationship. This is a toxic relationship. And all of my friends in high school who dated had toxic relationships. One would always try to control the other. And I just wanna give you a clue here. This is why that happens. It's because your, your body and your emotions are wanting to be married. But every other part of your life, from your schedule to you living at your parents' house to you don't have a job, to every other factor of who you are as a human, naturally, because you're in high school and there's nothing wrong with it, they're not ready to be married. And so you're trying to commit at a level that your body's saying, I want to be married. I want to do married things. But the rest of you saying, I can't. And you're being torn apart. And it ends up being that you want to control that other person because you're struggling with this splitting of your humanness. Now, again, you could have a good relationship, but this is where a lot of them do end up, and I would warn you guys of this. And then the last is abusive. This is where the control gets to the level of abuse. And if you are suffering from abuse in a relationship, I just want to invite you, like, man, we want to talk about that. We're not going to shame you. We want to just help you process that and what it looks like, what God has for you. And I'll share this very vulnerably. When I was in high school, I made the, like, I very much made a dumb decision. It was like dating people before I was a Christian. And I, and I, at one point, as I was becoming a Christian, my youth pastor would meet with me regularly and he was discipling me, trying to teach me Jesus and walking with him. And what he did is he actually took me out for lunch one day and he wanted to process with me like my dating relationship. And he just asked very nicely these questions. He said similar things that I'm sharing with you today. And he would, you know, like, how is that going? And I'd like tell him really honestly, because I was just very like 
going through it with him and back and forth and back and forth. And by the end of it, my youth pastor was like really like Jedi smart. And he never said it was right or wrong in the personal like one-on-one combo, but he led me through questions to evaluate where I was on this chart. And I'm going to tell you right now, I wasn't fine or good. And at that point I started to realize, dude, maybe like it's okay for me to date, but it's not the wisest. Again, some of you might be off this chart, but that's not where I was. And I had to make the decision right then and there, like I'm going to break up with this person and try to be a healthy person on my own with Jesus. And that was literally one of the best decisions I ever made as a kid. Okay. Okay. There's a lot of wisdom in waiting, right? Most of the time, for most of us, there's a lot of wisdom in waiting, but that's not the biggest thing. The biggest thing is that you can take away is this, is that, uh, man, like Jesus is worth waiting for. That Jesus is worth your time. Jesus is worth your singleness. If you are dating, Jesus is worth being first in your dating relationship. Because like I said at the beginning, I love my kids. I would die for my kids. And I am trying to share this stuff with you like I'll share with them out of a love for you, right? But I can say, man, I want to share this stuff out of love. Jesus didn't just say, I want to share this with you and I want to walk with you guys out of love. Isaiah 49, 16, another verse of the Bible says something really profound. And I want you to hear this if you have made a mistake in a dating relationship. I want you to hear this if you have lived a life that you feel like is immature. I want you to hear this if you're like, man, I'm, I'm going through some stuff that this guy doesn't even know and didn't even categorize and I'm so messed up. I want you to hear this if you're somebody who's like, I'm not dating, but I'm looking at pornography. I want you to hear this if you have sin and failure in your life that you're ashamed of or you have been sinned against because that stuff can make us feel dirty too, even though we didn't do anything wrong. If you have been sinned against in a way that you feel uncomfortable sharing with people, listen to me. Jesus is worth your heart and your time because while I can say, man, I I wanna share with you out of love and I die for my kids, Jesus did die for you. Isaiah 49 says, I behold, I have etched you your name in the palms of my hands and your walls are continually before me. What Jesus, what, what the passage there is saying is that when Jesus died on the cross, man, he wasn't expecting you to make the perfect decisions with your dating relationships or not dating or to impress the youth pastor. Like that is not helpful. And that's not what Jesus wants for you. What he wants for you is to know that no matter what you've done and no matter what I've done, because I have a long list of sin, a long list of broken sin, he died for me there. He died for you there. And your name is etched on his hands. And when he died, he purified you of anything that you have shame over, anything that has ever been done to you or anything that you have ever done to others. There is no judgment here, no matter where you're at, okay? Jesus wants your heart. And that is why if you choose to wait, he's worth waiting for. If you choose to put him first in a dating relationship, he is worth that because he loves you more than I could ever do. And he loves you more than anyone ever will. Amen. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. Thank you.